0: Hello, creative cutie. It's Lauren here, and I'm about to tell you about one of the best of Unleash episodes that I'm going to share with you for this Mental Health Awareness Month. But before I get into that, a little bit of housekeeping. Number one, Unleasher and a Creative won a Platinum Hermes Award, a Hermes Creative Award for being one of the best podcasts. So thank you for supporting the show, for listening, and for helping make this show so great and being a part of the community. As I've said before, every honor that I have, I share with you because there'd be no show without you. So thank you for being you, for listening to this show, and for supporting me and my dreams. And number two, I am doing a live music show tonight. So if you're listening to this Wednesday, May 4th, I'm doing a show tonight, in Los Angeles, well, in Burbank, to be exact, at the Urban Press Winery. If you're free, please come. There's a link in my bio on Instagram and pretty much everywhere else. It's my link tree. And you can get tickets on there. It's only $5 for a show, for a live music show in this economy. That's a steal. And plus, we'd get to hang out after, have a glass of wine, chat. It'd be super fun. So if you're in this area and you're free tonight, I'd love to see you there. Okay, so now to why I picked this episode. This episode is all about my mental health journey. And I really bear it all in this one. We recorded it about a year ago. Emily, who at the time was my associate producer, and I sat down and talked about you know, how I basically got to where I am now with my mental health and how I got into therapy and all that good stuff. And I really made this episode in hopes that you would track your own journey and maybe hopefully by tracking the past and seeing how we got to where we are now, we can also see where we need to go and and how we can help our mental health grow even more and take care of ourselves and know ourselves even better. So it's interesting. I was listening back to the episode and I've changed so much just over the course of a year. And I do wanna share one thing with you. I know everybody's got a podcast these days, but there's a reason for it. And podcasts are such an important tool of self-expression. It's basically like having a diary that you can go back to year after year and listen to and say, oh, that's where I was at at that point in my life. So if you've ever considered a podcast, I highly, highly recommend you start one for the sheer reason that it's a great way to track where you were at and i love that i can go back through all these episodes that i've recorded and track my life especially during the pandemic so anyway yeah there's a few reasons for a podcast number 1 self expression number 2 it's a fantastic marketing tool number 3 it's an incredible way to do networking organically but that aside listening back to this i've seen even though like i'm in this weird state of reconfiguring my life and reevaluating things and taking rest and i feel like i haven't quote unquote achieved as much as I want to achieve, whatever that means. That's what I'm trying to reconfigure this month. It's really cool to go back and see how much I've achieved emotionally. And um, that was one of my New Year's resolutions or I guess intentions is that I wanted to be more committed to my emotional and mental health and self-development growth than anything else in my life. And when I look at that and I track that, It's been exponential. So I would love for you, as you're listening to this episode and throughout the course of the next week and maybe this whole month, to really track your mental health, emotional, spiritual, self-development achievements over the course of this past year, and also where you want to go in the future, things that you haven't gotten to yet, things that feel out of reach to you, things that you want to explore Because as the great Jen Sincero who wrote, you are a badass once said, new level, new devil. (laughs) So once you get to one level of knowing and self-knowledge, there's always a new one to reach. So anyway, and I will share with you in this past week of having my break and making more space just to be, I've booked two music gigs, one of the ones being the one tonight, and I've just been playing more music. And it's been so nice to find the fun in playing music again and exploring that. And I've had so many more ideas. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see what else comes. So without further ado, you're going to hear my full mental health journey, including my family history, from the first time I realized I had anxiety to getting into therapy to where I was a year ago. And yeah, my goal for you with this episode is that you start to think about your own and where you'd like to go with it next. So here it is. The best of Unleash inside my mental health journey. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LeGrasso. I'm Lauren LeGrasso and I'm going to do another intro for the show in a little bit. So I'm not going to go into the usual thing here right now. But I just wanted to pop on a little early and do a small preamble because. The episode you're about to hear is the last in my series on mental health because it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And of course, we talk about mental health like almost every show, but there's a special emphasis on it this month because it's still not spoken about enough in our world, in our culture, and on a person to person basis. And so I think it's really important that. We spend some specific time highlighting that because personally, I think mental health is number one above all else. If you're not taking care of that, then there's no chance anything else can be tended to properly. And I say all this because what you're about to hear is my personal mental health story. I have never, I don't think I've ever told it to anyone from start to finish. Even my therapist maybe, because when I went into my therapist. I started with her working on an acute issue and I'm going to tell you why I'm sharing this with you because I'm somebody who thinks about this stuff a lot and just through going through my own story, I learned so much about myself and drew conclusions about myself and my journey that I'd never understood before or connected to before, that I was actually able to bring to therapy, that I've been journaling about, that I've been using in my creativity and my songwriting obviously on the podcast. And I want to share this very deeply vulnerable part of myself with you about my family history, the first signs of anxiety and depression as a child, how it's manifested in my adulthood, and how I've really learned to take care of myself now. Because I want you to know it's okay for you to talk about it too. And what I really hope you can do from listening to this is go through your own mental health journey, kind of from start you know, and by start, I mean with your ancestors to finish to where you are now and trace the lines and see what conclusions you can draw. And I want you to know me on a deeper level because, um, I don't know, that's just important to me. And I really hope I don't have a vulnerability hangover after this is out into the world. I'm like, oh, God, somebody who I'm dating could just like come on here and listen to this and be like, well, nope, I don't want to be with her. But, you know, that's the wrong attitude to take. And that's really what I'm looking for. Of course, we still have those preconceived notions because we look at our vulnerabilities, our traumas as a weakness. But I think the conclusion I really came to on this episode is that when we don't acknowledge these deep, difficult things that we've been through or even going through right now, and we only focus on the good or the outcome, we're not really acknowledging the full story. So. Yeah, I think it's important to share the full truth because when you share the full truth, when you acknowledge the good and the bad and everything in between, then that's the fullness of who you are and that's a gift. And only by acknowledging the pain can you truly acknowledge and appreciate the beauty. And before we get to it, I do want to let you know there are some difficult topics covered today. Obviously, we talk about anxiety and depression. We talk about body image and eating disorders. We talk about physical abuse briefly. So if any of these things are upsetting to you or just the whole subject matters a little bit much for you, just keep that in mind before listening on. Thank you so much for holding space for me today. All this stuff, even as much as I've talked about it now, it's still really scary to share, especially in sequential order. And so I really appreciate you listening and um, all of the scary feeling and the sharing will be worth it if it helps you. So I hope it helps. And here we go. And this is a conversation between my associate producer, Emily, and me. Here's my mental health journey. Um, um Go ahead. <laughs> You're the host. Um, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I was like so like leaned into the idea of you being the host today that oh, I was just like. yeah, I'll take no, over. Okay, Welcome
1: so- everyone to Unleash Your Own Creative. This is Lauren LaGrasso. I'm a award-winning podcast host. Thank and, you. And uh, You got nailed it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I think we're going to help you do some stuff with fear perhaps. There could be and a fear moment. <laughs> this whole thing could be really fearful for you. I don't know.
0: And could be a horror movie. Could
1: be horrible.
0: <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren Lagrasso. I'm Lauren Lagrasso, and I'm here with my associate producer Emily Shulmanovich. That's right. That's how you say it. Don't forget it, bitches, because I did a couple she times. Still and, does sometimes. No, most of the time I get it right. And this show is meant to help you redefine your relationship with fear, take it out of the driver's seat, hopefully, and find a way to love yourself, deal with your mental health, get in touch with your spirituality, and since it's Mental Health Awareness Month. We thought it would be a really cool day to share my mental health journey with you because I've alluded to it. I've given you bits and pieces. I've breadcrumbed you. But today I want to give you the whole loaf, (laughs) the whole mental health loaf. And I want to just like share the full story because I feel like it helps to hear somebody else's journey. And I didn't come to it until a little later in life, but not because I didn't try, just because like no one in my family had done it and no one had tools or knew what it was. They just thought it was like the way of life. Right. So yeah, I want to share a little bit of like my family history into childhood and into young adulthood and today. So Emily's kind of going to be my therapist today. Uh, Well, your therapist's a little bit of an alcoholic (laughs) because
1: there is a large glass of wine and a whiskey glass here to help me
0: and help you, Lauren. Thank you. Actually, I feel calmed knowing that you are relaxed. <laughs> but so with that, we'll delve into my family history <laughs> of mental illness. Okay. Uh,
1: yeah, no. So I'm actually genuinely curious. So you said it was – I think you mentioned it was on your mom's side of the family or your dad's side of the family. You said you had a grandmother, right? That I did have a grandmother.
0: You had, <laughs> at one point, you had a grandmother. Um, yeah. So – Italians, as we've talked about many times on the podcast, don't really deal with mental health. I think it's common in a lot of cultures, but definitely in Italian culture. Well, so refresh for me. Are your parents first generation? My dad is. Your dad is. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So my dad's like first generation. My grandpa on my dad's side, aka my dad's dad, came over on Ellis Island. So like there was definitely stuff going on there. Like, He had a tremendous amount of trauma, but like no mental health that I know of, like no mental health issues, but like my grandfather's dad died in a fishing boat as well as his brother so he came over to america to like have a better life and then he lived with an uncle that was like super Hold awful and abusive on. to you him you can't just
1: skim over died in a fishing boat like that's a normal well, way don't to go i don't know
0: a lot about
1: it <laughs> so that's
0: all you picked up you didn't ask any more questions you were like oh he died i in a fishing asked boat <laughs> questions my dad didn't ask questions I see. so it's like you know you only get as much history as the generation before you you
1: know what I had this idea, and I think genuinely I got this from a Kardashians episode, but I had the idea to do an interview with my mom just about her childhood and what, and just to have that video to like pass on to future generations, just to know like this is the family history so it's not like playing telephone.
0: So many stories got lost with my grandma, unfortunately, because yeah. she got sick and like lost the ability to talk before we could really ask her about a lot of things that happened. So. I think it's vitally important to do that with any living relatives that have stories that you may not have, like just to keep that. So definitely do that with your mom. Anyway, I don't know a ton about it. I just know that they both died at sea. And so my great grandmother was like, I cannot let this happen to my son. Send him to America. Comes over when he's 15 by himself. No money. His name is Mateo. (gasps) Such a pretty name. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, if, if I, you ever have a boy. If I have a boy, I'm going to name him Lorenzo Mateo after both of my grandpas. Beautiful. I know. I love it. I. What about a girl? Liliana Louise. What? Mm. These are such better
1: names than like what I've got. What are yours? Uh, well, one of the grandmothers is Riva. The other one was Emma, actually. I was named after her because she died when she was like 40.
0: I love Emma. Yeah. That's a beautiful name.
1: I love it. My mom hated it. Mm. So then she went, what's nice and close to Emma? Emily. It's beautiful. The end. And that's how we got here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so there's definitely trauma on that side, but I don't know that it manifested as mental health issues. I'm sure it did, but like nothing diagnosable. And then the other really sad thing is, so my grandpa like worked his whole life and like tried and tried and tried to save his money to get back to see his mom. And right before he went back to see his mom, she died. So he never saw her again from the time he was 15 on. He never made enough money to like get back over there. Oh, I see.
1: That's so sad.
0: I know. But the part I really wanted to highlight was that there were significant mental health issues on my mom's side of the family. So we don't know exactly what was wrong. But there was something that happened with my great grandmother, my grandma's mom, and I mean, the rumors were like it was like undiagnosed bipolar, but no one ever talked about it. And it got so oh. bad to the point where like she was in a mental institution and they said it was because she was, quote unquote, going through the change. Stop it. Like menopause? Uh-huh. No. Uh-huh. And they said she had a nervous breakdown because she was going through the change. But like this stuff had happened my grandma's whole life. And it's, it's hard to even talk about now because there's still to this day within my family so much secrecy about it. And I said to my mom the other day, I'm like, who are we protecting by not telling this story?
1: I would actually love to go down this lane because you have now said on so many different podcasts that you talked about the secrecy thing Mm -hmm. in Italian culture. Is it just around mental health or is it around other specific things in your life? Like where have you seen it come out the
0: most? Do you feel like you're stopped from talking about certain things? I think it's around anything that could potentially bring shame to the family. So anything that doesn't paint the family in a perfect, pristine light is something that you're expected to, whether it's a verbal expectation or a nonverbal expectation, to hold within yourself. Even if it means sacrificing some of your own mental health or peace or happiness in order to protect the family, mm-hmm. there's a silent or explicit expectation that you don't tell on your family, even when it's affected you adversely and is affecting the way you're interacting in the world.
1: I see. So in terms of your life, huh. And stuff you feel comfortable talking about. What has been an example of something that you've been open about that your parents are not happy that you're open about?
0: I think at this point they're fine with everything because I actually sat them down at the end of last year and said I have to be myself and I can't wow. keep holding these things in. Yeah. Like, so one thing w- was definitely sex. Like, I d- never ever talked about that publicly, or if I did, I felt an immense amount of shame. It's not like I'm like completely over it. But I recognize that's a part of me and it's a part of my humanity It's a part of all of our humanity just like eating and sleeping is it's part of being a person. I can't
1: imagine you not talking about like that's a weird thought to me that that was something
0: that you used to not talk about. I used to if I talked about it, I felt gross and I felt like my parents were going to be ashamed and I was going to bring them shame. So that was more about your parents than even about like Catholicism. I mean, how can you separate Catholicism from being Italian? It's it's so deeply interwoven into our culture. Right. Like it's so interesting because Italian culture is so passionate and open and warm and loving. And it is a sensual culture. Yeah. And then there's this dichotomy of the Catholic Church, which is all about keep it in, like withhold, never follow your urges. And so I think that the two different cultures and way of thinking are at odds. And I definitely think it lived within me. And it lived within everyone in my family. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you were saying the secrecy
1: around your grandmother, around her being in a mental institution. My great-grandmother, yes. Your great-grandmother. And so what do you know about that in terms of what actually
0: got her in there? Or is that also very... I don't know a ton about what got her in there. I know when my grandma was growing up, she was terribly abused by this person, her mother. Oh, And so what I really like trace back to that is like one okay the thing that kind of lived on in me was like secrecy around mental health Mm -hmm. and shame around it because when I first got therapy we'll get to that I did not tell anyone I didn't tell anyone I was very ashamed and very scared of anyone. you didn't tell your parents I I told them after a while but like I didn't like clue them in on making the decision okay you know but I did not tell – like if if you and I had met and were working together, you wouldn't have known. I'm so open about it now, but I and didn't talk about it. That's interesting because you're also in LA mm-hmm. where it's like everyone and their mother has a therapist. But even back then, it was, you know, 2013, people weren't as open about it. Right. 2012, 2013. Yeah. So there were a bunch of different things, but I think it trickled down in me in that secrecy piece. And then also, I've shared this on the podcast before, but I kept finding myself in situations in work or friendships or like school even, Mm. where I was dealing with abusive women. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's where it comes from. Yeah. So my grandmother was abused by her mother, who is my great grandmother. And that's the one who ended up in the mental institution. The great grandmother ended up in the mental institution. So the one who was abusive. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's, to this day, not talked about. Like, three of my grandma's sisters are alive. Like, they will not talk about this. Like, they will not acknowledge that this happened. Like, it's very... Wow. Like, if they heard this podcast, this would cause controversy. Are you nervous about releasing this? I'm not nervous for myself. I'm more nervous for my mom. But, like, I don't think anyone's going to hear it. I Like, unfortunately, I don't think they support me. <laughs> That's lovely. I think we have bigger issues than mental health. Exactly. So I mean, also they're like, you know, 75, between 75 and 90 something years old. So they don't know how to listen to a podcast. No, they're between like 80 and 95. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I don't blame them. I barely know TikTok. You know what I mean? I know. That's hard. (laughs) So that's like kind of like part of the family history piece. So then my grandma, you know, obviously dealt with the repercussions of that, but she didn't really deal with it. She just kept moving, 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 moving. So she didn't have to deal with it. And then she got sick with this disease called multiple system atrophy. And the disease ended up making her basically into a baby. Like she wasn't able to talk. She wasn't able to walk. She wasn't able to eat on her own. So is it essentially a form of dementia? It's a it's a mixture between Parkinson's disease and like a disorder of the autonomic system. It doesn't really have anything to do with dementia, but like she really? just wasn't able to talk. It was like she's trapped inside of her body. Okay. So mentally, she was all there, but she couldn't take care of herself. Apparently. But, you know, like we couldn't talk to her. So she would recognize me when I'd come in. She'd go, oh, oh, but like oh. she couldn't talk to me. Oh, that's so so sad. I always would say, like, if you don't deal with your problems, your problems will deal with you because I feel like a lot of why my grandma went through what she went through is because she never was able to acknowledge what happened to her as a kid. Like, she Mm. never dealt with it in therapy. She never really even talked about it that much, like, except in these little pieces where you'd find out information. And when she first started getting sick, she would cry and cry and cry and say, my mother never loved me. And she was like 80
1: oh my God, oh, that breaks my heart. Yeah. Oh,
0: And my grandma's such a hero to me too because she broke the pattern. Like, you know how hard it is when you've been abused to then go and love like wholeheartedly and she broke the pattern and was so brave and like literally left home when she was 18 to move to America because her dad was afraid her mom was going to kill her. And back then, if an Italian woman left home, it was looked at like you were a whore. Wow. Yeah. So she was just an incredible person, but never dealt with her problems. And it's interesting because she really didn't get a childhood because of that. And then in her old age, I feel like it kind of, it balanced out because she was finally able to get taken care of. Right. And also
1: that those people weren't around anymore. You've created this new family where she has fostered love. Mm -hmm. So that's really beautiful. But it's so absolutely horrible
0: (laughs) it's very sad i mean yeah yeah, and to know the sacrifices she made so we could feel love i always wonder like what type of mother i would be
1: like when you're missing that nurturing energy as a child because i my entire life thought i didn't want kids Mm -hmm. um my mom was not a very nurturing person she like hated being touched she's much different as an adult now she's like a lovely person but As a kid, it was, like, very hard to connect to her. And so, like, I'm, like, a monster mama with my dog. Like, I'm just, like, overly touchy and overly – and so even though for the longest time I didn't want kids because I didn't like kids, I know that if I have kids,
0: like, that love is going to come out tenfold. Yeah. Well, I'll say my grandma was very loving, but she was very harsh. Mm. So – And I don't falter now that I understand more of the full picture. Like I wish I could have had a conversation with her because I didn't really understand or know any of this stuff while she could still talk. So it wasn't until I really kind of went through my own situation of like mental anguish that I understood some of what my grandma had gone through. And I had so much compassion for her and realized like some of the things she said to me She didn't mean she was just trying to protect me in her own way. It kind of honestly mirrors some of the stuff I feel like you've told me about your mom. Mm -hmm. Like different. But when I was little, I was chubby. And so my grandma would always comment on my weight. Like I always say I was never bullied by kids. I was bullied by adults. (laughs)
1: Well, so but family members, yeah, that's so interesting too because it's like one thing not to look at your parents as people, but your grandparents or your grandparents, yeah, like you don't think of them as having a whole life outside of you, right? When they're at that age, all they do is grandmother you, you know. And so what what did you see your grandmother as, as a person? When you thought of your grandmother, what was that picture for you?
0: When I was a child or as an
1: adult? Before you knew her life story, let's put it that way. As a
0: child, I mean, I loved my grandma. My grandma took care of me. Like, I loved her so much, of course. But when she was saying those things about my weight, I was like, why are you humiliating me right now? And unfortunately, down the road, it turned into an eating disorder. And I mean, we can get to that. But when I had my hand down my throat, making myself throw up, I was thinking, this is so my grandma can never say anything to me again. So, and it breaks my heart because I know if she, had she ever known that that's what What I was doing or what she caused, she would have been beside herself. She was, in her head, I think she had weight issues when she was little and I think people commented on it. So in her head, I think she was trying to protect me from other people saying it, but no one else was saying it.
1: Oh, my God. That's you know? horrible.
0: That's even worse. Yeah. My dad did the
1: same thing. My biological dad. Mm. He w- we would be like at a restaurant and he would pinch my stomach like in public. And I was like I- – I was beside myself. Yeah. But it really gets to you, you know? And I've never been overweight my entire life. So it's like yeah.
0: you just go, am I not seeing in the mirror what other people are seeing? Well, my parents were so, like, loving and, like, never, ever said a single word about my body. And my mom commented on her own body all the time, Mm. which I think definitely seeped into me. But my parents always just, like, cherished me and made me feel beautiful and wonderful. But, you know, I was a pretty sensitive kid. So, like, having that, like, just that impetus was enough for me to start spiraling down a bad road.
1: Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Again, compassion. I do. I understand where she was coming from now.
1: Totally, and it, it all comes back to intent. Mm-hmm. She did it out of love, right? She was like, "I don't want her to go through what I went through, so I'm gonna tell her that it's important to be skinny, so that if she's skinny, she's happier."
0: Right. And all my other cousins were skinny naturally. Mm. So okay, yes. So that was my grandma, and then my mom has like always had anxiety, but like never really dealt with it. Wasn't as bad when I was little, but definitely has ramped up to a very high fever pitch at this point in life. Yeah. As we've discussed. Mm -hmm. But when I look back on my life, the first time I really remember having anxiety, there were a couple things that happened. I was around eight. I was told this story about a guy who drank a beer on a golf course. Okay. But the beer had a bee in it. Oh. And he drank the bee and the bee stung him all the way down his throat, (gasps) and he died. (gasps) I was also told a story about a girl who ate a hot dog too fast, choked on it, and died. So the bee thing has happened to me, by the way.
1: You swallowed a fucking bee? I – it was a wasp. (gasps) I was on the beach. I came from McDonald's. I had like a thing of Coke with a straw in it. I went to play in the water, came back, started sipping on my Coke, and the bee was at the bottom of the straw – sorry, the wasp, and it just – Flew straight into my lip, and the stinger landed in my lip, and then I swallowed part of the wasp, just to but help your God anxiety. Thank God it stung your lip and not your throat. Oh, girl, my lips look good for like a couple of days. Honestly,
0: that's <laughs> the key. Don't get your lip injections anymore. You, everyone out there listening, just Wasps. go for a wasp. <laughs> go for a wasp. Okay. Well, that's terrifying. Thank God I didn't know oh, you that at that died. time because I would yeah. have uh, actually perished. But so <laughs> I I started getting in my head that I was going to choke and, and I was specifically going to choke on a bee. That's horrible. And I remember- So you were eight at this point? I was, yeah, around eight. I remember being in the back of the car and I was like crying and crying and like spitting because I had convinced myself that I swallowed a bee and I'm like, the more I swallow, the further down it's gonna (gasps) go and so like I the the way I have panic attacks or anxiety attacks always to this day is in the form of convincing myself I've choked that is what happens when you're having a panic attack yeah it's the hyperventilating
1: it's the you're not getting enough air or oxygen to your brain so that is what happened but it's
0: interesting that it seems very literal for you no for me it's very literal like I will eat something and then swallow it and then like my throat will feel weird a minute later I'll be like I'm choking. Wow. I'm absolutely choking. And my mom has the same thing, which is really interesting. Wow. So yeah, so at that time, I'm sitting in the back of the car. My mom is like, actually came into the back with me because like, I'm freaking out. But no one's acknowledging what's going on. Like, I'm just crying because I think I'm dying. Like, I'm convinced that I am. There were no questions asked. (laughs) It was basically like, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Right. You know, like, like, you don't know that. They were being comforting. Yeah. but, But I didn't feel like. No one acknowledged that this was a really fucked up thing that was happening. Right. No one was like, it's kind of weird that like an eight-year-old is suddenly so scared that she's crying and will not swallow her own saliva. Yeah, that's crazy. So that was number one. The second thing, and to circle back to like the theme of like these abusive women, in second grade, I had a super, I don't know, maybe abusive is too strong of a word, but I I think she was abusive. She was a, a very detrimental teacher in my life who would consistently humiliate me. Is this the choir me. teacher? No, this is a different teacher. I had multiples. Okay, multiple. <laughs> this was my second grade teacher and she would humiliate me in front of the class, made me feel stupid. That was like a one of the worst years of my life to this day. So I, that, that was around the same age period. I was like oh seven to eight. What? And that was one of the worst years of your life? I was so depressed. I was not myself. I remember i like No one was being mean to me. My peers that I went to school with, I was highly blessed. Again, I was never bullied by children. I was bullied by adults and family members. That
1: blows (laughs) my mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this teacher, when you say she, like, beyond any other student, like, did you even mess up or was she just, she just had a target on your mean, I
0: was having a hard time that year. Like, I I definitely think that I should have been further ahead in my reading than I was. But like... It was not helpful what she was doing. Like I remember going up to the board and I honestly don't even remember a lot of specifics of what happened. I just remember how I felt. I remember that we had to do some sort of like crossword puzzle and I had just kind of like made the word my own and like put it in however I wanted to. And she just made fun of me in front of the whole class for what I had done. And I just... horrible teacher. Yeah, it was a really bad year. So like I would... And I had all these stomach issues. I mean, that's when my stomach issues began. I actually started crying when I was thinking about it earlier because it's just, like, breaks my heart for little me. Yeah. I was, like, sitting – In my locker, you know how lockers, you know, have like the little part at the bottom. And I was so small at that time I could fit in. Oh. So dainty. And I was sitting in my locker and my mom was like about to go to work because she she was dropping me off and I really didn't want to go into class. And I was just like sitting there being like, I really don't feel good. And like my mom gave me a juice box and Mylanta to take. Mylanta is a stomach medicine. Okay. So I was always talking about wanting my Lanta, but I remember even knowing at the time, I'm like, it's not because I'm sick. I'm like, my stomach hurts because I'm scared and I'm sad. Yeah. And so I remember sitting there and like my mom gave me a my Lanta because I was saying my stomach hurt and just wanting so badly to like have my mom take me away and not have to go back into that classroom. And honestly, that whole year I was depressed. Now, I don't think I've ever been – Clinically depressed because I've never felt like I couldn't get out of bed or like the thing that a lot of people describe. But I've been in very dark places before, and that was the first time I felt that. So,
1: did you talk to your mom about it when it was happening, or was this something that was a conversation later?
0: She could tell what was going on, she knew I was miserable. I don't think I had words to describe what depression felt like as an eight year old. So like I couldn't really explain what was happening other than my stomach hurt and I didn't want to go to school. So
1: do you still have stomach issues? Is that something that was like prevalent your whole life? I'm wondering if the stomach issues were genuinely a side effect of that fear. Like
0: Mm -hmm. I I think that that developed into... The gut is the second brain. So anyone who has gut issues has issues with their brain. Oh. (laughs) And I think actually most of the serotonin in the body is stored in the gut. So really? Yeah. So if you're having issues with depression, like often- healthy, people. Eat healthy, get on probiotics. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's all connected. Anyway, and then at that time too, my parents were both working long hours. So I was at my grandparents all the time. Sometimes I'd be there till like 11 o'clock at night, like way too late for an eight-year-old. Totally. And then I wouldn't start my homework till I got home because like I'm not going to start unless someone's like forcing me. Totally. So, and that's when I started gaining weight that year too, Mm -hmm. because I was just like- at my grandparents' house, they always had these really good oatmeal cookies that my grandpa got from Farmer Jack, which was a local Detroit grocery store, and I would just eat those. So like, it's, it's always the people calling you fat are the people that I are feeding you the say. most. It's Thank so you. annoying. So I started writing a song about that because I was like, I wanted to kind of like call out like, we have to be careful what we say to young girls because and boys, but like, I was specifically thinking about girls because I am one. These little things absorb everything that you yeah. say to them. and if you're the one fucking feeding them, then shut the fuck up. A hundred percent. You could have given me vegetables and chicken every day, but what did I get? I was getting burgers, fries, pasta, cookies. What did you think was going to happen? I was sitting in front of the TV all day. That was my like best friend at that time.
1: Yeah. You have to set an example as the adult.
0: And I want to say one thing too, like just to like reiterate my peers at that time, like This girl, Katie, who I'm friends with to this day, like I'll start crying if I talk about it, but I remember I was on the playground and like, again, I felt so isolated because I felt so bad. Like my self-esteem was so low at this point that I was like self-isolating. It was like, I felt like I didn't like deserve to be in community with other people, I think if I look back on it. And my friend Katie, who is the most amazing person, Katie stars. Saw me sitting alone on the bench. She goes, Lauren, why are you sitting alone? Come play with us. And so. sweet girl. Yeah, like little moments like that, you know. And then I was so lucky. Does Katie remember that moment? I'm sure she doesn't because a lot of times we say things to people that we don't realize like saves them in some way. Yeah. Or changes the course of their life. Like there's so many times I've said something to someone and they're like, when you said that it changed every decision I made after I'm like. I'm really glad it was something good because I do not remember saying that. (laughs) I got to watch my words is what I'm learning. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so like there were so many things that did bring me out. And then the next year I had a teacher that totally changed my life, Mr. Swansea, my third grade teacher. And he taught me I could be smart. And I mean, I credit him with everything I've ever done because if I hadn't had him the next year, I think I would have gone down a really bad path. Have you talked to him as an adult? He's been on the podcast. Oh my God he's the best yeah i love mr Swansea. mr Swansea's the best and we're in touch all the time and he's like he actually is a supporter of the podcast oh so he like pays ten dollars a month to support the podcast you guys yeah and you can do that too you listening pay emily and i (laughs) we'll split it five dollars each it'll be exactly buy ourselves a A nice pack of gum (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah, so got through that year. Like, honestly, my self-esteem went through the roof when I had Mr. Swansea. Like, my parents... You know, made sure I got into a good class the next year.
1: You seem like a very confident child from videos that I've seen oh of my you. my gosh. Like, you were
0: – I mean, that was, like, the one dark year. After that, everything started going up and up. When I was in fifth grade – By the way, still chubby in fifth grade. I mm-hmm. thought it was hot shit. Like, I mean, sixth grade, let's not even get me started. I would go in. I'd swipe on green eyeshadow. I'd be like, you got this, babe. Like, I'd put the straightener through my hair two times. And then I'd be like, you are so hot. Everyone's going to love you. She was right, and yes, but the problem was the weight thing did continue, and so it was like at that point, I started becoming kind of aware of it,
1: and was the anxiety still there the the choking oh, stuff? I
0: totally forgot, so in fifth grade, there was another thing that happened, so another anxiety indicator, which again, nobody acknowledged or said was weird, like I had sleep anxiety as a ten year old to go to sleep, couldn't fall asleep, okay. I was awake till like two, three in the morning many nights a week, would just like routinely take Tylenol PM, like it was nothing as a 10-year-old. I don't think that's not made for children. Well, honey, I took a lot of it. <laughs> she grew up real fast. I grew up real fast. I, I grew up with street drugs. <laughs> uh, hey, you got that
1: Tylenol PM? Honestly, I did. We always had a bottle by
0: the bedside. So...
1: Anyway, and did your parents know you were taking it? Yeah. Okay. They encouraged it. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. My mom is the same way. She was like, take four ibuprofen. You'll feel better. I'm <laughs> my, like, that's not my
0: the dad's recommended dose. thing was like, walk it off. Walk it off. You'll be fine. Walk it off. And again, my parents are so you just walking around 2 a.m.? <laughs> yes, exactly. My parents are the most beautiful, wonderful people in the world. But when they don't have the tools, how the hell are they supposed no. to give you the tools? No. I mean, is my we're, mom-
1: We're lucky as our generation to yes. even talk about mental health. Yes.
0: Yeah. We're so lucky to acknowledge it. Like this kind of conversation would have not existed even like 20 years ago. Absolutely. Even 10 years ago was yeah. way tougher. So yeah. So that was really weird. And like just couldn't sleep for the life of me as a 10 year old. All I would do is think about all the things I had to do the next day, which spoiler alert, weren't that many because I was fucking 10 and very privileged. I, I would like had to do a project about dolphins or something. And I was, that was so, stressful back then. I mean, honestly, let's talk about the blowhole. What's going on there?
1: Can you ever, can you put stuff in there? I bet you they do. I heard dolphins are freaks. Ew. That's disgusting, dolphins. Dolphins.
0: honestly, like, I'm not mad at them, but I do want to know more about their world. I'm a little mad at them. I hear that they rape people,
1: things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a little mad.
0: Okay, so we're mad at dolphins. This is officially an
1: anti-dolphin podcast. (laughs) Welcome to Unleash Your Incubator Creative, the anti-dolphin podcast.
0: We are the only one, and thank you for sponsoring us, all dolphin haters. That
1: would be such a great name
0: for a podcast, the anti-dolphin podcast. Or dolphin
1: haters. I love it. Well, that's that's what we call our listeners.
0: Okay. What's up,
1: dolphin haters?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so anxiety. (laughs) Yeah, that was weird. Eventually, it went away. I don't know how it ended, but again, like... There was something not right here. Mm -hmm. And then in middle school, that's when the eating disorder stuff finally started coming up. And at first I kind of like started losing weight on my own and then people kept commenting on it. Oh, no. People kept commenting on it and being like, oh, you lost weight. Oh, you lost weight. And talking about it. And the more they would comment, the more I'm like, I have to keep this up. I have to keep this up. I have to keep this up. I hear that that's the like crack cocaine to an anorexic Mm -hmm. is you
1: look too skinny.
0: Oh, people told me I look too skinny all the time. I was like, yes. Thank you. (laughs) Practically Thanks a corpse. So much. <laughs> um, but I remember too, like there was a really screwed up thing, and I've I've never talked about this publicly, but like when I was very unwell in this area, I would sit across from my best friend and make sure she ate more than me. I mean, I wasn't like feeding her, but I could never sit at a table and eat more than the other person across from me.
1: So, you would stop eating before she was done eating? And then,
0: like, I remember this one specific time we were eating baked lays, and I had like a very select few, just the plain baked lays. And then I was like encouraging her to continue to eat. She's like, Oh God, I'm eating so many. I'm like, You should eat as many as you want. Like, go for it. Like, sick. Yeah. And then when I discovered bulimia, I'm like, This is such a great scam. You can eat what whatever, whatever you want, want and yeah. just throw it up? Are you kidding me? Like, does everyone know you can do this? this? So <laughs> it is a terrible, terrible thing. And I think, again, that led to my gut issues. Yeah. Because I didn't really have too many between second grade and this time. Mm. But it started flaring up in high school, which was like, so, this so was like seventh grade to eighth grade that this, this was, was your, happening.
1: Your peers, your friends encouraging you, basically going, wow,
0: you look so great. My teachers, even. Your teachers? Yes. Yeah. My teachers would be like, "Oh my God, Your oh my gosh! Lauren's lost never. so much <gasps> weight like they were like asking my mom if I had an eating disorder, which my mom didn't know, so she was like, "No, no, she's fine. This one teacher like went to my mom and she was like, "Oh, Lauren has lost a lot of weight. I hope she's not getting too skinny. I hope she doesn't have an eating disorder and like she would say it to me too She's like, Do you have an eating disorder?" And I remember like clearly being like. No, I eat fries all the time. Hint, if somebody who's lost a tremendous amount of weight starts talking about eating fries and burgers, they're full of shit. They're trying to get you off the trail. Dude, I'm learning so much.
1: Yeah. No, I I have multiple people in my life, and I won't call them out, that had or have eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh one with anorexia and one with bulimia. And I'm a little
0: both, best of both worlds, because you know I am a multi passionate.
1: Yeah. <laughs> She's a multi hyphenate <laughs> disordered girl. Um, yeah, And she would hide uh, – the one who had bulimia would hide little spoons around her house mm. so that she had easy access to like – because she didn't like sticking her finger down her throat.
0: I didn't like using my finger either. Actually, I was a spoon girl myself most of the time. Really, But what I would do is take a bowl. Like we had these like little metal bowls and I didn't like throwing up in the toilet because I thought the toilet was disgusting. Oh. So I'd take a metal bowl. Like how did no one know? This is the other thing I remember thinking was like – why doesn't anyone know that I'm doing this? Again, I guess this is like kind of the theme I'm, I'm talking about right now is that there are all these warning signs that something wasn't right with me and nobody, nobody acknowledged it. Sometimes they didn't even know, nobody talked about it. Like, and I didn't have the words to express it. So it's like, I was just completely experiencing these things in isolation. Well, it's also just not knowing what to look for. Yeah.
1: Like, you know, you're an only child. Mm-hmm. Your mother's first experience with a kid was you. Yeah. So you're crying in the back seat about the fear of choking, mm-hmm. and she goes, I-, "I guess this is what kids do. They cry randomly.
0: You know what I mean? Because I think a bee is stinging them
1: all the way down their throat. I mean, I don't know if you am not. I'm that, not but
0: blaming my mom
1: totally, like, totally. She, but I'm saying she couldn't no. have
0: known. But like, it, it's. It's kind of wild looking back, like seeing the lack of action that was taken on any of these things, right? But I think again, it goes back to if you can't, you know, weed it out of yourself, how are you going to help someone else weed it out of them or like deal with it, right? You know, my parents hadn't dealt with any of their own trauma, so how are they going to deal with mine? Yeah, how are they going to? They help don't me even deal- know how to approach it. They in don't the first even know what place. trauma is. Like we just started using that word in the past five years. Yeah. So anyway, what got me and this is like a beautiful moment, what finally got me to stop making myself throw up was creativity. Really? So randomly one day in the car, I was like fascinated anytime I'd hear somebody talk about like eating disorders or bulimia because it was like, Oh, like someone so this else. Was,
1: this was in high
0: school? This was in middle school. In Middle school. Wow, you started young. I stopped young too. Good. Thank God. Wow. So randomly in the car, my dad started talking about Karen Carpenter. Do you know who she is? Mm-mm. She's like Got one of the most heavenly voices of all time. Okay. She's a singer give me, in a band. Give me a song. Why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? Just like me, they long to be
1: close to you. Oh my god, that was so gorgeous! Aww. I
0: think I've heard that song. It's beautiful. That's but she had like beautiful. a heavenly voice. Yeah, yours was horrible. I know. I hated listening I know. to that it was so bad. <laughs> oh, it was so bad. Um. So, but she ruined her voice. Why? Bulimia. <gasps> oh. And so my dad brought up randomly. He's like, "Oh yeah, Karen Carpenter. I think she came on the radio. He's like, she had a beautiful voice, but she died of anorexia and bulimia. She ruined her voice from throwing up. And I kept asking him questions." What do you mean she ruined her voice from bulimia? What do you mean he's like, "Well, the acid when it comes up over and over again ruins your vocal cords and you can no longer sing." Oh,
1: and you were already a singer so you like
0: And I was I was going to be the lead in the school play. I'm like, I have to stop doing this. Oh my and I god. I never made myself throw up again. Does your dad know? I've told him that, but I don't know if he like holds the memory close. I mean, it's it's painful for my parents to hear this because right. I think it makes them feel really bad that they didn't know and couldn't help me during that time. And I don't want them to feel that because I was genuinely really good at hiding it. So, yeah, I mean, it was pretty remarkable. And I do credit my creative outlet music with saving my life in some way.
1: Did singing ever help your anxiety or help your... Oh, yeah. Was that an outlet for you in terms of like anger or
0: like even as a kid in middle school? I just think it's like the time I feel most like myself is when I'm performing.
1: Hmm. Did you have to have an audience or... I loved having an audience. Well, I know, but because I loved, for example, having like solo
0: dance parties in my room, like in front of a mirror,
1: you know, and that always made me feel better.
0: Definitely. I mean, I still to this day love doing that. I think it's a different level of satisfaction when you share a collective experience with a group of people versus Yeah, but then you have to be good at it. And I... (laughs) I think you were probably really good at it. At dancing? Oh, I don't know about dancing, but I feel like you're definitely... I've never seen you dance, but I feel you'd have rhythm. I don't know. I don't think
1: so. Okay. You can ask my boyfriend. He's better at at dancing than I am.
0: Really? Yeah. Wow. We took salsa
1: dance classes and... How cute. He was genuinely getting frustrated with my lack of...
0: (laughs) My lack of skill. Rude. So, So there was that. And then, okay, let's flash forward. So high school... I'm in another like weird kind of abusive situation with a teacher. Oh my God. With this choir teacher and like sucks the joy out of music, which is Everyone so Everyone
1: avoid Detroit public schools.
0: That's what I'm going to say. Well, Gross Pointe public schools, which they're actually some of the best public schools in the country, but there were some screwed up individuals. Also amazing ones. I mean, Mr. Swansea changed my life and saved my life. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's bad apples everywhere, but there's good ones too. So anyway... Had this teacher, like was kind of like going through like a change in my friend group. And I definitely started feeling situationally depressed again at the beginning of high school, first year. I remember sitting on this hill with my mom, like at St. Paul Catholic Church on Lakeshore Drive in Gross Point, and looking at her, or maybe I was looking out, there's like a lake there. So I was looking at the lake and I'm like, mom, I think I need therapy. I think I need to go to therapy. And she goes, Really? <laughs>
1: okay and I bet she loves your impression of her she
0: actually does does she She really does she gets yeah. such a kick out of it because you're very good at that I, I just love it when you do the impression I'm like mom you're such a good sport like do you know how few people can handle oh that God. I'm so proud of you I don't think I could handle it as well as you do you know she's great in that way
1: I mean doing an impression of you is just talking very well
0: right? <laughs> yes I'm so elegant <laughs> such an elegant really pronouncing
1: your consonants
0: (laughs) so anyway yeah and then i explained to her you know i feel like there's some things i don't really know how to deal with i don't think i you know really trace the lines too much to be like remember when i was aiden i thought i was choking on a b but sure sure was there a breaking point for you with the
1: teacher like did something i don't
0: even think it was the teacher i think it was just a lot of different things at once and realizing that like I think what I couldn't put my finger on at that time was I was starting to recognize that there were certain patterns that seemed to be unhealthy that I would like to change. So that was why I wanted it at the time. Like I couldn't articulate why I wanted it, but I knew that something wasn't right and that if I kept doing it the way I was doing it, it wasn't going to change for me.
1: That's extremely mature. I was a pretty mature kid. That's extremely mature. How old were you? 15. That's crazy.
0: But again... I,
1: I sank into alcohol at 15.
0: I didn't drink till I was in college. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? I never took a sip of alcohol. Well, besides, like, I took a little, sorry, Dad, to tell you now, but I took a little <laughs> bit of your Parrot Bay, and then I put some water in it after, but I oh, didn't get drunk. didn't we all? Didn't get drunk off of it. I just wanted to, you kept bragging about how it tasted like <laughs> coconut, and I was like, I love coconut. Could I try this? <laughs> I was like, it doesn't seem fair that you just keep bragging about it, and then I don't get to drink any. Honestly, it's your fault. I do. I do blame Mr. (laughs) Lagrasso. But anyway, that conversation was had and totally dropped. Like, I didn't know how to get therapy for myself. My mom clearly didn't know how to get therapy for me, so I never ended up going to therapy. And actually, things really improved the rest of high school. Like, so
1: wait, your mother said, "Really?
0: Do you think so?" And then you said, "I gave her like my explanation, whatever it was, some primitive version of." I keep doing the same things and it's not working for me. So I'd like to find tools to change. It was not that because I did not have that language at that time. Sure, It was whatever my 15-year-old mind could muster to come up with. It was very difficult. I remember how difficult it was to get those words out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. But I was just like crying so much at that time and like felt very uneasy all the time. So I'm like, I need to be able to do something about this. But miraculously, and I've always had this in my life, a different wave came in. And when I had my sophomore year of high school, things just kind of shifted, some sort of like shadow lifted from me. I remember having a very distinct realization walking down the halls. I used to hear people laughing and think they were laughing at me, which, you know, Aww. kids are egotistical. So like, sure, they think that everything's about them. And then I'm like, oh, everyone feels awkward. I'm like, I don't have to feel awkward anymore because everyone feels awkward. So it's like a waste of my time. So after that, I got really like, ballsy and just like really – and I was always kind of friends with everyone, but I think I dropped a lot of my anxieties at that time because like I kind of had this weird little shift of enlightenment, but still had like recurring issues, but nothing was as bad as it was prior Until then, like, I graduated high school and could not figure out where I wanted to go to school and basically, like, tortured myself that whole summer and, like, went back and forth and back and forth. Sorry
1: to backtrack, but so did your mom say no to the therapy or was she, like, like, sure, let's wait it out?
0: She didn't say, sure, let's wait it out. I mean, like, she she didn't say, like, really anything. Mm. It was
1: kind of like- She just listened to you. Yeah. And then you kind of got it out of your system and
0: then it kind of fell off the map. And I will say that's like a bad habit and pattern in my family in general. Like I have a song called Running Away and the lyrics are, and and to be honest, it was inspired by my mom, but it could be about any number of people in my family or me. The lyrics are, you keep running away from yourself, you keep running away, and I don't know how to help you in the shadows that you face because it's the family business just to run away. I'm, I'm literally tearing. That's such a good lyric. Thank you. But it's true. It's true. So let's – I'm going to fast forward. I went through college. There were ups and downs in college, whatever. But I think college was one of the easier times in my life because there's so much structure and you're pretty much doing what you want to do most of the time. Yeah. Like I was studying things I was passionate about. All my extracurriculars were things I was passionate about. I had a lot of control over my life. Graduated, moved to LA, things get exacerbated. I feel like a failure because I'm not succeeding at acting right away. I'm having to re like change my identity now to musician, but like nothing is really hitting. I'm very poor. I feel really bad about that. My dad was helping me out financially for a few months in that first year I was living here, and I felt like really, really ashamed. My mom is taking care of both of my grandparents, and I see how much it's like draining her and changing her, and I start feeling responsible for trying to help her and fix her. And it reached a fever pitch in the fall when, like, I had broken up with my first boyfriend. I had this weird moment with a guy I was in acting class with where I felt, like, very violated by him. So, like, there was all these, like, kind of, like, bad things happening. Then I got vocal nodules. So it was like one thing after another. And then my grandpa died. And it was like, I just like, I had a lot of really intense stuff happen all at once, which I think is the reason most people first get into therapy. Like too many big things are happening all at once and you cannot handle it anymore. And you have literally no other option but to face yourself. Yeah. So finally I went to therapy this really wonderful woman and she was a great starter therapist. But I was at that time very ashamed of it because no one in my family had ever done therapy. My mom had a counselor, but she wasn't like a licensed psychotherapist. And I honestly think she really never helped her. Oh, I totally forgot. My parents did go to couples counseling when I was in second grade and I was very against it. And I went to them and I was like, a lot of shit happened in second grade. I'm just realizing. Wait, you were against it? Because I thought it meant they were breaking up. And so I was like, I remember I was eight and I'm like, you don't need a counselor. I'll be your counselor.
1: (laughs) Lauren, I'm so surprised they even told you. That's a lot to
0: put on your kid. By the way, not only did they tell me, they took me to the sessions. Why? And I was in the waiting room and I remember putting my ear on the door and like listening in and then the counselor opened the door and I fell in the door. (laughs) Because I was like, this is literally a movie moment. You can't, (laughs) you can't write this. I mean, you could, but people would think it's cliche, but it's cliche because it happens. That's crazy. Yeah. A second grader
1: shouldn't even know what a therapist is.
0: I mean, my parents and I have a beautiful and very close relationship, but sometimes the like, there's a good side and a bad side to that. Sometimes the the bad side is that they tell me stuff I really shouldn't know. So, so something I learned through therapy is my family is incredibly codependent with each other. Really? Which is why when my mom was taking care of my grandparents, instead of, like, me trying to help her and then when she didn't accept the help being like, okay, she's on her own path, I took it personally and felt like it was my responsibility to change her and change her life. So this precedent was set very early on, obviously, like, when I was brought into, like, their couples counseling, like... We're way more integrated, at least at that point, than we should have been. Definitely. Even when I was in my early 20s. Like, we're much better now that, like, I've done therapy. I set boundaries with that. The word boundary, by the way, like, I know it's it wasn't really readily used anywhere. Yeah. But that word did not exist in my family. It does not exist in Italian culture. Everything is just connected. Right. You know? Yeah. No one has personal boundaries. Like, you need something, you give it to them. To the point where I'm like, my parents literally, when my uncle had a fire in his house... Let him and his wife sleep in their master bedroom. Guess how long? Four months. Longer. Seven months. Longer. A year? Year and a half. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's like there's a serious lack of an ability to say no. Well,
1: and a, it sounds like a lack of awareness to respect the other person's- Oh yeah. What would be the other person's boundary. Yeah. Right? Totally. Ooh. But anyway- in the master bedroom. The master bedroom. Did they share it or did like your parents sleep on the
0: couch? My parents either would sleep in my bedroom because I was gone at the time or they would sleep on the couch. I love that they didn't give your bedroom to the guests. Okay. That's very sweet. Or the guest room. Like there, there's a, not a guest room, but there's an office room that has a pull out bed. Right. You know? That would
1: have gotten them out much quicker. Yeah, exactly. If you have to sleep on a shitty pullout, you're going to find a home. <laughs>
0: So anyway, like found out that I was codependent, found out I was dealing with anxiety, found out I derived my worth from what I did. So like lots of great things happened in that, dealt with anxiety. I got into my relationship that I was in for a really long time during that time in therapy and like dealt with some of the issues that were coming up there you know really learned like how to set boundaries in my relationship okay. so, so 23 you 23 went to your first
1: starter therapist my starter therapist how long did great, you see her about two years
0: oh that's a, okay yeah long time so after two years she got pregnant which at first i was like rude <laughs> how You're dare gonna you go have a family have a baby <laughs> when i have issues still I'm not cured. You
1: bring your baby to the session.
0: (laughs) So anyway, she at that point said, you know, I'm going to be taking maternity leave. You can either, you know, she felt that I was in a good enough place where I could stop.
1: Wow. Okay. Did you, I have, I'm curious, did you ever have sessions where you walked in and you're like, I have nothing to talk about today? No. Really?
0: Yeah. Most of the time. Even
1: after two years, you just, you always
0: had something that you wanted to tackle. So I'll tell you that didn't happen with her. With this therapist I'm with now, it has happened once. Okay. Where I just like update her on my life and I'm like, so what do you think we should work on today? You know? Yeah. The thing that's hard about therapy, and I, I do get this critique that some people give it sometimes, is you could literally do it for the rest of your life because you're not like, yes, you may get out of your acute issues, but if you're in therapy for self-development, you're never gonna be fully healed. Self development is not about healing. Exactly. Yeah. It's about evolving. So so anyway, I and then I was out of therapy for a few years and then it got my life started getting bad again. <laughs> when I was twenty seven. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. Don't I know it? You already you already went through the hard part, I think. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no.
1: My worst year was probably 26. Yeah.
0: So it's when I was 27 I started having a lot of issues in my relationship. I was having issues in other areas of my life like there were some more like kind of toxic situations that were coming up and I'm like I'm repeating these problems. Yeah. So my music producer actually is very deep into self-development work mm. and I was telling him like I'm really really struggling like I need to get into therapy. And I thought at that time, I kind of wanted to get into therapy to get out of my relationship. Like I was like, why am I still in it? Like I need to get out of this. Like I'm having the same patterns over and over again. Yeah. And he needs to change and he's not changing. And so it's interesting because the exact opposite happened where when I started working on myself and therapy, suddenly my boyfriend at the time improved really he started getting better like as i started loving myself and and working on myself and like fixing some of the things in myself that i had been projecting and trying to fix in him right he started leveling up and like i i think it's interesting because was that annoying for you <laughs> no i was actually happy because i did love him but there were just all these things i mean eventually obviously we all know it happened and we broke up but like we had another good few years I think as a result of my work. Now, if he would have done his own work, it would have been a totally different story. Sure. But that's interesting. And I do think that happens sometimes. Like you, you think you're unhappy with the person, but really you're unhappy with yourself. And what Jessica, my therapist now does, that's so amazing. Is she's Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but she's a licensed psychotherapist. She's an energy healer. And she does something called core energetics, which gets the trauma you've stored in your physical body out of your body. So I'm curious after working with her,
1: Because it seems like you have a lot of, you have both issues with your stomach and your throat. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of issues with my throat as well. So I'm genuinely curious about this. I still feel choked up quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So there's there's something that triggers that. Do you feel like that's changed for you since working with her?
0: Well, it's hard to say because I started working with a voice teacher at the same time, the one that taught me about, using your pelvic floor to sing. Yes. (laughs) So between, I don't really ever lose my voice anymore, I will say. Okay. And I used to lose it pretty frequently prior to that. Really? Okay. So I think it was a combination of this voice teacher I had, Arden Kaywin, and Jessica, my therapist. Okay. But I still do have issues. I have sore throats a lot. I just don't ever lose it anymore.
1: Well, I don't even mean losing it, but I guess...
0: I get tension in my throat a lot. Yeah. I think I do have a hard time. So like, interestingly enough, like... The chakra in the stomach, the sacral sacral chakra, I think that's what it's called, is the one that's in charge of creativity, sexuality. Yes. Um yeah. like right to be here, like life yeah. force energy. And then your throat is expression. Right. So if you can't express yourself and if you're repressed creatively or like you're repressing your life force energy or your passion for life, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be depressed and anxious. Awesome. <laughs> That's me. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, yeah, she really changed my life. And I think is like a big part of why I was able to get out of some of those bad situations I was in, like ended up leaving that relationship despite how difficult it was. And I'm finally in a good place, you know, but like I think part of being in a good place is acknowledging all the things that are going on with me. So and it's ongoing. It's not like I'm like, oh, now I'm healed. It's like, you know, it's interesting. i I realized in like the last year, since I've gone through some like major emotional things and a couple of health things, which I will talk about eventually, that I've had an incredibly blessed and privileged life, but because I'm so optimistic and I'm so aware of how like lucky I've been in life, I've totally neglected to acknowledge all the fucked up things I've gone through. And so I think this next leveling up is in acknowledging that those things were really hard, not dwelling on them, but like just claiming that as part of my story. And like, just because I went through something hard or I'm acknowledging these dark parts of myself doesn't mean I'm no longer an optimist. It doesn't mean that I'm not grateful. It just means I'm claiming this as part of my story too. And I think that's been hard because I felt like it made me damaged, but now I just know it's part of the complex... Story that makes me me. So now I have to ask <laughs> if you and little you Aww.
1: were in a room facing each other, what would you say to the second grader Aww. that really needed someone to stand up for her and didn't have that when she's sitting in that little locker and she didn't want to go to class? <laughs>
0: Oh, I give her a hug. I tell her, "You're beautiful and you're smart and no one gets to tell you who you are. You're amazing. Get the fuck out of that class. <laughs> you're right, you shouldn't be there. Don't let that woman ruin your self-esteem. And you're enough, and I love you, and don't listen to what anyone else says about your own intellect." or your beauty, or your heart, you're enough.
1: I love that. No one gets to tell you who you are. Yeah, that hit hard.
0: I still say that to to us today, you know? It's like, I think so much of the shame around this comes from the world telling us we should be perfect and have it all together all the time. And just because you've been through something or you're going through something there's nothing wrong with that like it makes you beautiful and complex and more attached to other people like if you've suffered you have compassion yeah. you have empathy for others like you're not damaged you're human and you're
1: better for it especially if you deal with it
0: yeah you know if you if you go through it if you feel it you can heal it right it's sad that a
1: level of suffering is necessary but it really does make the world a better place to know that you're not alone in it to find meaning in it
0: yeah i love you thank you for this conversation i'm sorry it was i do still feel you're not off
1: the hook yet we're not (laughs) no as you know there's a part two she's so bad at
0: this i know i never acknowledge (laughs) what i put people through on
1: this show well and and here's the thing i really do think that you listen to your inner child a lot i think your inner child is still very much with you yeah and so I don't know that your inner child would have anything to say to you other than I am so fucking proud of you and that I see myself in you. But if you think that there is something your inner child would remind you of that's good to keep, you know, at the forefront of your heart and mind, what do you think that would be? Um, I think she'd say, just
0: keep singing. Just keep singing and thank you. Thank you for remembering me. To cry. Love you. Don't look at me
1: right now. Okay. Don't look at me. Um this was really enlightening. I had learned so much today yeah. about you as a human and your past and I feel naked. It's good. It's good. I think it's time, you know, that yeah. your listeners really get down deep into who you are and what made you you. And um it also makes you that much more of a a beautiful host and therapist to others
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and creative coach and can give advice because you've been in the depths of that darkness. And I think darkness is different for everyone and we all express it differently. Just because you could get out of bed doesn't mean that you haven't gone through extremely serious depression. Yeah. And I think mental health awareness month emphasis on awareness is just about what exactly what you said, acknowledging everything that you've gone through just be open about it and i say fuck it better to be yourself than hide something out of fear i guess and there, there's that fear component that we talked about coming in there's fear take it out of the driver's seat baby see ya <laughs> get in the truck
0: all right that's a
1: wrap that's a wrap we love you love you
0: believe in you i believe